Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 209 called Michelle. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. Getting pregnant isn't always easy as so many of you listening know. Many couples struggle with infertility and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Receptiva DX is the only test that can identify endometriosis, progesterone resistance, and endometritis in a single sample, all causes for unexplained infertility and the success rates of IVF treatments. Receptiva DX includes BCL6, a marker that identifies uterine inflammation, most often associated with asymptomatic, aka silent, endometriosis. BCL6 is found in more than 50% of women with unexplained infertility and over 65% of women with two or more IVF failures. If positive for the Receptiva DX test, treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold. Learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. And for $75 off, you can go to their website, order the test, and use code InfertileAF23. Again, it's ReceptivaDX.com. Use code InfertileAF23. Thanks, Receptiva DX. All right, guys, my friend and guest today is Michelle. She is an OG Fertility Rally member. She actually became one of our founding members when we launched Fertility Rally membership in June of 2020. So I've known her for a while. She is so sweet and cool. She's also a full spectrum doula, a yoga teacher, a Reiki healer, Reiki, I always say that wrong, an IVF warrior pregnancy loss survivor, and a foster parent. So we're going to get into her whole family building story today, including male factor diagnosis that turned into multiple surgeries, IVF, miscarriages, donor sperm, and multiple egg retrievals. So as Michelle says, our story is still not over and we hope to continue finding forever in 2023. Michelle, I love you, girl. Without further ado, guys, this is Michelle's infertility story. Let's do it, Michelle. Hi. Hi. So good to talk to you. You are like an O-O-O-O-O-G fertility rally friend and member. It's And I haven't talked to you extensively. We've been texting, but I can't wait to hear what's going on with you and all that stuff. So thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been of course to share our story. I know we've been talking about it for like over a year and I feel like now is a really good time. So let's start at the beginning. Did you always want to be a mom? Yeah. I like remember being 12, wanting to have kids. I started babysitting like the moment I could take the Red Cross course. (laughs) Then I became a camp counselor. So it's kind of always been in my blood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So fast forwarding, how did you meet Lucas? We met online. Mm -hmm. Picture of our grandmas. It was on Bumble. And like at the time, the woman had to make the first move. So the first thing I said to him was, yay for grandma pics. And that was the beginning. Wait, you both had pictures of your grandmas up? We both had pictures of our grandmas. Get out. I know. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really unique. I was like, not many guys like have pictures with their grandmas. So I was like, let's try. Did you have a badass grandma? 
Um, I mean, I had like a, we both have little tiny Italian grandmas. So <laughs> we were like towering over our tiny grandmas. <laughs> okay. All right. So tiny grandmas united you. And then what happened when you guys got together? And like, when did you start talking about, we're skipping obviously a lot, but when did you guys start talking about staying together, being together, building a family, all that stuff? Yeah. Well, first date. I really <laughs> yeah, we connected on December 31st. We both were going to close our profiles down on January 1st, but luckily we met each other. Yeah. And then seven days later, I kind of was like, do you want to meet in person? Like I was wasting no time at this point. I was like about to, I was a couple of months before turning 27 Mm -hmm. and I'm like, my clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then on our first date, I pretty much laid it all out on the table. I was like, hi, want to get married, want to have kids, want to adopt, want to be a foster parent. And he didn't run. Yeah. Was he agreeing with you? Yeah. He was like, yeah, I think those things are all great. I mean, we both came from like Italian and Sicilian on my side family. So he was like, yeah, I really want to have kids. I'm like, well, yeah, I definitely want to have kids. But like, I also think it's really nice to be able to like give back to the community. And he thought that was a really good idea. Okay. So then when did you guys start to try? Yeah. So we started dating. We got engaged five months later. Oh my God. I love it. You're like, I am not fucking around. (laughs) Given the rest of our story. Um, and then 15 months later we got married and I was, we wanted to go on our honeymoon. So we went on our honeymoon like six months after that. And we started trying, like took out the goalie. IUD was removed. The moment we got back from our honeymoon, we're like, we're going to have a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And I should probably fast forward that I was like studying to become a birth doula. Mm-hmm. So I knew like a lot about the reproductive system and I knew that we were getting older and we just never know until you start trying sadly. And then we hit our four month mark and I was charting, I was wearing a bracelet and like something's wrong. I just could tell something was not, I don't know. It just didn't seem right. And mm-hmm. I had like coached like five of my friends that summer on how to get pregnant. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And then I made my husband lie to go get a semen analysis. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, we've been trying a year. He got one done. And then the results were not so great. Okay. So what were the results? He had like a very low sperm count, like extremely low. And there weren't many modal sperm. So mm-hmm. we knew, and it's hilarious because he went to the VA. <laughs> He's a veteran. Mm-hmm. And they read his chart to him over the phone And they were like, your hormones aren't that bad. They're actually in the normal range. And I looked at them. I'm like, if this was a woman, you'd be in menopause. Um, Interesting. So you knew that from like your doula training and your birth training and all that stuff? Knew that from, in reading books, I wrote taking, I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Mm -hmm. And that book empowered me so much to advocate for myself and for my husband. I'm like, this is not right. And then I used all my connections to get us in with a urologist a month later. I love it. And- he looked at his results and was like, yeah, you have a varicocele. I can see it. Okay. Can you explain that to people who don't know what that is? Yeah. Um, I'll do my best. Okay. I'm kind of, I'm like a cock doc in, in, in the last four years. But, a cock doc. I love that. Um, it's basically where blood vessels are twisted and men's balls and it restricts like the blood flow. So that can cause sperm to not be produced. It makes the balls too hot. And if the balls are hot, sperm is killed. Mm-hmm. You need like, nice, cool balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he re- recommended that we repair that first. And then you have to wait three months because the sperm that comes out today was created three months ago. So we went ahead with that. And that was December of 19. Okay. Yep. So what did he think of that diagnosis? The doctor? 
or my husband, your husband, (laughs) uh, it did not go over so well. Like the semen analysis in the first diagnosis obviously did not go over well. We live in a society where men are constantly being told, oh, what do you shoot blanks? Like grow some balls. And it just was like really hard to see because I was like, it's okay. It's a diagnosis. We move forward. But it hit him extremely hard. And I'll be honest, he also was dealing with reverse culture shock from coming back from the military, undiagnosed PTSD. Mm-hmm. Felt like it just like came crushing down on our fertility journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which- the reason I ask is because I just feel like that that isn't discussed enough. And you know, when it's male factor infertility or when they get a diagnosis like that, and I hope that by talking about it more, we can kind of you know blast those stigmas and have guys not feel like so bad about themselves or like it's their fault or they did something wrong. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's genetic. <laughs> you can't help it. Like mm-hmm. they happen or they don't. And then we did do genetic testing and he does have like a gene mutation that also is affecting his sperm. Okay. Yeah. So like that fast forward the three months that brought us to March of 2020. Okay. We did a semen analysis and we got the results on Friday the 13th. March oh my God. Okay. Doctor- so that's like as the world is shutting down, right? Well, we went to the doctors that day and my, uh-huh. my reproductive endocrinologist was like, don't worry. We've got like like all we need is to get the sperm and then you'll get pregnant. And then Monday, the world shut down where we live. Okay. Wow. So a lot to unpack there. So what did they, when you went in and saw the doctor, like, what did they tell you? Did they say that here's what we can do here are next steps? Like, what are you guys learning? They said there were still, so we did the repeat semen analysis and there still weren't enough sperm that we could do an IUI. Cause I think for an IUI, you need like 10,000 modal sperm. We did not have over a hundred. Okay. Uh, but they said there's a procedure called a micro and this mm-hmm. doctor he had met in November was new to our town. He was doing them. And she's like, you need to link up with him. And the goal would be to do the micro on the same day as an egg retrieval for me, you know, bring the sperm with the eggs and fertilize them. Okay. I'm going to ask you again, since you're the cock doc, how do you explain a micro <laughs> This is how our doctor explained it to us. You take a ball and you open it up like a book. You slice it open like a book and oh you take God. the follicles out. Yes. Painful. So, extremely painful. And we were fortunate enough that my husband only had one ball operated on. Like okay. you can have a micro done on both, but the more a doctor or anyone goes into testicles, it affects their testosterone. Mm-hmm. Okay. We so want- again, you get this diagnosis and this, you know, next steps. What did you guys think about that? I mean, I, I would be like shitting my pants, uh, like, especially think- if I was Lucas. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure he was shitting his pants, but the doctor didn't totally explain that much of the surgery till afterwards. He was just like, I'm going to go in there and take out some sperm. And Lucas was like, okay. It wasn't mm-hmm. until afterwards that he totally explained like how how it's done. Maybe that's better, right? <laughs> Ignorance is, is more blissful. Yeah. And there are many versions. There's like a Tessie, a micro Tessie, something, something, something. All I know is that we had the micro Tessie mm-hmm. and that's how he performed that surgery. Um, and because it was COVID, I couldn't go in with my husband. Okay. And our reproductive clinic opened at a different time. Like they all opened and then I couldn't get on the books for IVF at the same time as my husband's micro So we just Mm -hmm. decided to go in there, see if there's sperm. So we went in there. Well, my doctor, our doctor went in there. There was sperm and I'm at home getting phone calls. Oh, your husband just passed out. I'm like, well, you probably showed him a needle. Oh my God. Things that like 
are, I am so at, like, I advocate so hard for that. You need a person in the room with you. Mm-hmm. No one should ever go under any form of anesthesia or have to make any decision without a support person. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. Yeah. But so in COVID, there's no other way. There was no other way. And like, he couldn't FaceTime me because they were trying to numb him. And that's when he passed out. But anyway, so I'm like at home, just like literally shitting bricks. I'm like sweating. I'm all by myself waiting for the phone to ring from a nurse to tell me if there's sperm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I cannot remember the time that went by. I get a phone call. We got sperm. And then the doctor was like, I don't know if you found heard like Lucas passed out. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like, you can come to the, I know you live close. So like come to the operating center. So I go and this is June of 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. I received the sperm in a specimen bag from our doctor mm-hmm. and drive it to my clinic. Okay. So you yeah. were, was IUI going to be what was happening well, then? It was supposed to be like, we were, it was all fro. It was like all in little vials and they were going to look at it and then freeze it. Okay. You can't okay. do an IUI with microtessy sperm. Sperm gotcha. that comes out of the ejaculate moves different than sperm that's in the testicle. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Oh my gosh. So a lot is happening. And and June 2020 is when we launched Fertility Rally. So we met you like around this time when this is all happening. Yeah. So I joined Fertility Rally and thank goodness, because I'm still like very good friends with the people I um, joined on there. And they helped me advocate because someone, May Claire, had talked about her journey. Uh Uh-huh. Fertility Rally, who you had on your podcast. And she was like, hi, May Claire. And I don't know. It just helped me advocate because I didn't know what it, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the totally. part of infertility. Yep. Is that you have to become a mini doctor in your own system and everything, everything else. Right. A cock doc, a mini doc, all the docs, a vag doc, <laughs> no, um, a midwife. Well, that's why I think it's so great, you know, not just fertility rally, but any sort of group where you can bounce questions off of each other and, you know, go like we have the three private Facebook groups where you can go and ask questions and, you know, very specific niche things, but it's in a small enough community that you're not going to get like a whole bunch of, not like riffraff, but you know what I mean? Like it's like vetted people that really like can give you good answers. So I think it's such important to have that like hive mind, you know? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And during this time I have become a birth doula. Mm -hmm. I've attended births and that just made the fertility journey that much harder because Mm -hmm. I am supporting people giving birth, growing their family. Right. And it's like the most beautiful thing to watch a baby come into this earth and also the most heart-wrenching thing when that's all you ever wanted. Totally. So tell me about the mental repercussions of that kind of stuff. What was it like for you? Like when you would be at a birth, like how did you feel? How did it make you feel? I mean, thankfully at the actual birth, I'm like high on life because Mm -hmm. I'm so passionate about birth and people being supported that I would, I didn't process it till I'm actually just now processing it. Um, Mm -hmm. I started seeing a trauma therapist and I'm doing EMDR work. Um, Oh my God. I'm obsessed with that. And I want to do that too. Okay. So can you tell people what that is? (laughs) Um, I'm just going to keep asking you to explain things because you're so smart and you've been studying all this so much. Hopefully I say it right. I think it's eye movement desensitization release or something of that nature. Basically you move, you bring about a trauma in your mind and then you move your eyes or you can, it's basically bilateral stimulation. So you're stimulating both parts of your brain by moving your eyes and it helps you process out the traumas. And it's been Mm life-changing. I didn't start that though until this past summer. So I let the 
blockbuster for a while. Right. So I went in for my retrieval about a month, two months after my husband's microtussie, because you had to like get on the wait list, of course. And they retrieved eggs and then they tried to fertilize them with my husband's sperm. And we had like a 40% fertilization rate, which is not great. And we ended up with only two embryos from egg retrieval, which for people doing this can feel like a lot and can also feel devastating. Right. For me, it felt devastating. Okay. Um, And we send them for testing. And by the grace of the heavens, they both came back normal. Okay. So how did you feel when you got that news? I mean, I think that was the first time I took, I was like, we have our two kids Mm -hmm. Um, naively. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to October of 2020, I went in for my transfer. I transferred our first embryo and then I had a early miscarriage. Mm, So sorry. Okay. So I remember that because you were in our groups and stuff at that point, right? So tell me about just getting that news and how that felt. I mean, it was absolutely devastating. And I hate how they call early, early losses, chemical pregnancies. Me too. Me too. I've always said, yeah, I feel like if, I don't know if you agree, but like loss is a loss is a loss. It's not, you can't compare all that stuff, you know, when people are like, oh, it was early. It's nothing like, At fuck any- you. <laughs> and honestly, doing an embryo transfer, even if you don't get a positive pregnancy test, that is a loss. Totally. You have created an embryo that potentially, like we tested them. They were genetically quote unquote normal. Mm. Like even if they're not, it doesn't matter. An embryo for me, like putting an embryo in my body, if it takes or doesn't, if it doesn't take, that's a loss. Yes. Agreed. I did not handle that well. And it was like pregnancy and infant awareness loss month in October. And it just felt like my world was crashing down because our clinic was so strict about COVID. You had to be tested at different points in your cycle for COVID. And I, my husband couldn't go in with me. I literally did this all by myself. Mm-hmm. The, he was able to support me like sitting in the car, but that that's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Chemical pregnancy. Again, I'm so sorry. I had one of those as well. Possibly two. I mean, mine were so like undefined and all early, but again, under kind of yeah. that same umbrella where like, it doesn't matter, you know? And I, I call them all losses and I call them all miscarriages because to me they were. Yes. I mean, they're painful to lose through your absolutely. body. Absolutely. Absolutely. When, when your like body decides we're done with this and it comes out in a period, like it is, ex- I wish someone had told me this, it is, it ex- can be excruciating, especially mm-hmm. with IVF when you add extra hormones, mm-hmm. it's so, it can be mm-hmm. so painful. So when um, you had that loss, did it, did you have to take the drugs to kind of like get the, I, I thankfully, yeah, I, same. I, I have, that hasn't been my first loss. And luckily I've never had to take the drugs. My yeah, body like, loves to kick things out. That's same with me. I never, I've never had to take them or had a DNC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, okay. So how did you guys keep going forward? I mean, I'm going to say I was a division one athlete in college and a three sport athlete in high school. And I just put on my like athletic hat and I just, yeah. just kept moving. Wait, what did you play again? I was a division one bowler and a weightlifter. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I will say like, we lost our very close friend to cancer the like month before that transfer. So it was like, it just felt like loss on top of loss on top of loss. And then there was COVID. So we were just like losing everything that we knew that was life. So I was just like, we got to keep moving forward. We have one more embryo. And our clinic had a package where you do an egg retrieval and you have two transfers. So I was like, I'm transferring the second embryo. I transferred the second embryo and it didn't take. Mm. It felt like it took, 
but it didn't take. And I was like, I just can't go back to this clinic. Yeah. Um, did you do early testing with that or did you wait the two weeks or however many days? The second one, I didn't early test. The first one I did. So like mm-hmm. I knew I was pregnant and then I knew when I wasn't because the line was getting lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a major reason why I left the clinic was because my friend who had passed was getting chemo down the street and I would visit her outside her window. So I was like, I can't go to this location anymore. Oh like, God, yeah. This real body reaction, like I have to leave. And that's something that I have, like as Allie knows, but that's something I've done this entire journey is when something doesn't work, I get up and go. Yeah. Because I'm not going to keep traumatizing myself and my body. It's already traumatizing enough. Totally. Um, so we went to, there's only three clinics in my town that we can go to. So I went to the clinic number two mm-hmm. and he was like, I have a six month wait list. I was like, okay. Mm. So we waited six months. How did that wait feel? Um, partly it felt great because I okay. knew there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Just be me, eat healthy, exercise. Um, yeah, I just tried to like focus on life. Um, okay. Was there anything you were doing like exercise or like food wise to promote fertility? Like what, how far down did you go down those like rabbit holes and those paths? I have since gone down very far, but at the time I was eating plant-based and I thought that's what I, so that's what I did at that time. Right. Um, My husband and I moved during this period. So I like focused on our new house, getting it ready. And then we did an egg retrieval in June of 2021. And I okay. felt like so great because like this time I got more eggs. We ended up with five embryos. Uh-huh. He had no ability to test them. Okay. Or no, we ended up with, sorry. We ended up with three embryos. I uh-huh. We so wait, with the micro Tessie, micro Tessie, right? Did he, it was just a one-time thing? Yeah, and then got, like, or did he yeah. have to do it again? We, I told the guy we wanted to have a lot of kids. So he's like, okay. I'm going to take much as I can. Okay. So you're still using that sperm. Yeah. They like put it into vials and every time we do an egg retrieval, they'll like either unfreeze one or two vials. Okay. Um, Were you nervous that that was going to run out at some point? No, we had a lot of, we had like eight vials. Okay. But every time we kept considering, should we use a sperm donor? Mm -hmm. And my husband and I, we would fight about not knowing what to do Mm -hmm. because he would like be so upset watching me torture my body through IVF. Like it is not fun. Right. Uh, these 100%. hormones destroy you. I had to start doing pelvic floor physical therapy because after my first egg retrieval, like I couldn't have sex without pain. I was just crying all the time. Like everything hurt. And like, for those of you who don't know, pelvic floor physical therapy is a specific physical therapist who is specialized in the pelvic floor area for women and men, and they can do manual manipulation to stretch your pelvic floor muscles and mm-hmm. to teach you how to relax your pelvic floor or mm-hmm. engage in what you need. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still do it once a week. I'm going today. Okay. Um, it's like saving my life through the hormone fluctuations, through the fertility treatments, through the losses I've had. Like, yeah. Back to your pelvic floor. Uh-huh. And from being an athlete, my pelvic floor was super tight. So when everyone's like, just do Kegels, that's not what I need to do. Right. Opposite. I need to relax my pelvic floor. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. So what happened next? So we transferred again. October seems to be, not only did we get married in October, we've had two embryo transfers in October. And I was like, we're not doing them on the same day. I'm like, I'm changing my luck. So I picked a different day. Mm -hmm. We decided to transfer two. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I kept hearing these stories of people who didn't have luck when they put two in, like their body just like 
responded better and it worked. Okay. Um, and these are frozen transfers? Frozen transfers. And Got this it. was my first like totally medicated frozen transfer. I had done like semi-natural and then like a little bit of a modified medical transfer where I didn't do estrogen, but I just done progesterone. But this was my first time I was doing estrogen shots and progesterone shots. But what I didn't realize is this clinic, he doesn't test your hormone levels. Okay. Like something I wish I would have asked was what, at what points do you test hormone levels during IV, during your egg retrieval, during mm. your transfer, after your transfer, there was none. I advocated for them, but by the time I did, my progesterone was too low. Um, okay. And it was like, this also resulted in an early loss of the mm. two embryos. Mm-hmm. And passing this loss, I went, I like met up with a friend to go on a walk. And all of a sudden I was like, my stomach hurts. It was crampy. And I started getting hot. And then I kept walking for like another hour. And then I oh get in the God. car and I called and I finally think my body like relaxed. And I called Lucas. And I was like, I don't think I can make it home. Like I'm oh crying. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm seething pain. And he was like, just stay on the phone. You're only five minutes away. And I stayed on the phone. I I made it home and I just like got upstairs and I went to bed. I went on our bed and I'm like moaning and screaming and, and I like, just don't know what to do. And he doesn't know what to do. He's like Googling, do I take her to the hospital? I'm like, they're not going to know what to do with me. Um, I'm like, I'm having, I'm like, I'm losing a pregnancy. Like, unless I can call my midwife and go to the delivery room, right? they're not going to know what's, they're just going to, you know, medically manage me, which I knew as a doula, I didn't want. Mm-hmm. And something either I, I just like let my body go primal and I eventually like get myself onto the toilet on my squatty potty and I'm moaning and moaning and moaning. And I'm like in pain. I was just having a constant contraction that like did not go away for an hour and a half. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. You had to go through that. And I lie down and I like fell asleep for half an hour. And then I get up and I'm like, Lucas, I feel okay. I think I need to walk. And I like sit on the toilet and boom, plop. This humongous blob of whatever my pregnancy was comes out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, no wonder I feel better because it released from my uterine lining. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, and it was just like crazy that like I knew to like sit on the toilet. I was just like all these things like I couldn't. I ended up not being able to lie down. Like my body was literally moving me where I needed to go. Mm-hmm. Like as a doula, that's super cool mm-hmm. that my body like did what it needed to do. And right. I knew not let other people bother me like hospital providers. I was like, no, I'm good. I mean, I was screaming, I was crying. But then at one point I just like got very like moany, like when my clients give birth And that's like what I guess I needed to do for my body to like, let go of this pregnancy. Uh Um, Uh I think this was so much harder because I was so sure it was going to work. Right. Right. I love that you're so in tune with your body though, that you like kind of were like trusting it to do what it was going to do. Not that that makes it any easier, but just kind of a cool thing that you've got going on, you know? A blessing and a curse because it makes it a little bit harder when to do fertility treatments when you are so in tune. Uh Um, Yeah. This particular provider didn't even call me after this loss. So I left this clinic. Okay. So that was clinic number two. Two. Okay. So what happened next? I me being me in August of this year, I decided I'm going to get a consult with the third clinic. So Mm -hmm. I had and I had had a consult with a clinic in New York City. I live in Western New York. Mm-hmm. And there was not many options, but I was like, let me try this. I wanted to try CCRM in New York City as well. Mm-hmm. But something just told me like, book these things. Thank God I did. Because like 
not even a month after my loss, I was the wait list had ended and I was getting ready to meet with clinic number three. Mm-hmm. And at this point, my husband and I were like, we're going to do IUIs and we're moving to donor sperm, which for those of you who are new to this is not how things usually go. Usually you try IUIs, then move to IVF. But right. since we're donor sperm, they told me like, you can, like you have a normal cycle we can do an IUI. Okay. So were you out of sperm or were you just worried no. that the sperm that you had extracted was not doing the trick? I don't know. Uh, we weren't out of sperm and we had one more embryo left. I just didn't want to keep having early losses without knowing. Is like I kept thinking there's something going on in my body that we're missing, even though my cycles were normal. Mm-hmm. Like I have a higher ovarian reserve. And they're like, do you have, you might have PCOS, but then I would ask my doctor and they're like, you don't have all of the symptoms. You have one of the markers, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it could be affecting you. It might not be. Again, mm-hmm. how much fertility is unknown. Right. Um, I Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, every, like they look at me and they're like, you're going to conceive twins. And I'm like, yeah, here I am still having not had a live birth. Totally. And oh, so God. This clinic and we started doing IUIs with donor sperm. Okay. How tell me about the donor sperm process? How is that for you? Like um, figuring well, out it was by this point, it was easy because this was the third time we'd looked at the website. Okay. Every time in our journey, they had said, Well, you could use a donor. You can like do your husband and use a donor, or you like they never said we could do both together. They always just like, you can use a donor, like you just need sperm. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, feel right to me. But this time I was like, let's just try these IUIs. And if I get pregnant, wonderful. Like IUIs were covered under insurance. IVF wasn't. So we were trying to like save money and figure out why I'm not making it past the first trimester. Mm -hmm. So we do our first IUI. And it took us four attempts to get to our first IUI because I had been on Lupron before my transfer for 10 days. And it dumbed my cycle down so much that my body was like, we're sleeping. Like, Uh, interesting. Okay. And so I finally get to an IUI. I do an IUI in the spring of 2022. And again, I have an early loss. So you did end up getting pregnant and like testing. Did you wait the two weeks or early testing? Um, I at home and it was positive. And I went and texted and my doctor, our, our urologist is on texting terms with us because he's like the one doctor we've stuck with this whole time because he mm-hmm. wants us to be parents more than anything. Yeah. And like you need that one care provider who just cares like him and my midwife are like my best friend like are are what get me through this because they know how badly we want this and deserve it like everyone deserves it but like when you try this hard yeah come on something's got (laughs) and it's so nice when somebody's in your corner like that like on the medical team right I mean it makes such a difference when they're as invested as you are yeah and I ended up needing and the thing that like has made me frustrated on this journey is that I've needed to use all of my connections. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, we ended up doing, I can't even remember because this is how your brain works with fertility. I did four or five IUIs and I got right. pregnant two or three of the two or three of them. Can't even remember how many yeah. losses. That's understandable. Um, yeah. One of them happened when Rovers Wade was being leaked and overturned. Oh I God. had one when it was leaked and one when it was overturned. And at the time when it was being overturned, they thought I was having an ectopic pregnancy and mm-hmm. wanted me to take methyltrexate, oh which I was like, you've got to be kidding me. People can't even get this drug who need it. And you're just like, you should take this. When I knew in my heart of heart, it wasn't an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Turns out, thank goodness it wasn't. 
but I called every person I knew who worked in the medical field and said, I need a second opinion. No one would take me when I called because I was quote unquote mid-pregnancy, mid quote unquote epic pregnancy. And no one wanted to exert responsibility for my body. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank God. You're such a great advocate for yourself. I feel like so many things would have gone differently. Like I'm privileged because I work in the birth world and I know people, which makes frustrated for those who don't, but I turn around and when anyone contacts me and needs a connection in my town, I will go to the end to try to find someone who to help them. That's great. Yeah. Of course. This saved me because when you take methyltrexate, it's a chemotherapy drug. You can't conceive for three months after that because Mm -hmm. it messes with your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was my longest pregnancy because my HCG, like your human, yeah, HCG, yes. Mm -hmm. The pregnancy hormone. Mm -hmm was irregularly trending up. Mm. So they're like, something's wrong. That's why they thought it was ectopic, but right. it kept, kept going up. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to see this through. Like, this is the high, like, I want to see what my body will do. And it ended up going up for like a couple of weeks. And then it started going down. And then I passed it. Like I pass every other pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been like fortunate and unfortunate that all of my losses happen before like seven weeks, like, like, so it's easier to pass those naturally because there's less developed in your body. Mm -hmm. But after, after my last one summer of 22, I'm like, Lucas, we're going back to IVF. Mm -hmm. Can't do this any longer. Oh my God. So you guys have been through so much at this point. Like, how was this on your relationship? Like, thank God we really love each other. Mm-hmm. And we both go to therapy individually, together, and then we both go to trauma therapy. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would say therapy and our just, we really are soulmates. Like, mm-hmm. it just like, I it, I couldn't do this with anyone else. And a part of, a large part of the story that I have seemingly forgot to mention is that I wanted to adopt during this period. So right. it's like, at each year mark that we didn't conceive, we tried something else. Okay. So we with an adoption agency mm-hmm. and fast forward now it's been it'll be two years this coming june of 23 we haven't adopted a baby yet mm-hmm. it's very slow right can, can you explain that a little bit more why is it so slow why is it so difficult why does it take so long oh you but when people tell people just adopt i literally want to shake them seriously it's, throat punch it's extremely expensive the way COVID hit, people weren't having accidental pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Like there were less one night stands because people weren't going out. So that stalled a lot of pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, more people were choosing to have babies. There's previous to last summer, there was more access to care. If someone wanted to terminate a pregnancy, they were able to, you know, more access to birth control. I just don't know. More people are finding family members. It's quite fascinating because. A year later, my husband and I decided we're going to become foster parents. Mm-hmm. And the foster care system is completely overrun in this country. There mm-hmm. are so many kids who need homes, but yet like babies, there are less babies that need to be adopted. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. your dynamic. Um, so foster and adoption, those are two totally separate entities. Yes. Okay. You can adopt from the foster care system, but you need to be, usually you need to be a foster parent first. Okay. Okay. So did you get the ball rolling on the foster system as well? Did that a year after the adoption. Once we were cleared with our adoption agency for a year, we'd always wanted to foster, but there was COVID. And then we were like, we're going to have our babies then do this. Mm -hmm. Infamous last words. Let's have kids first then. And I just think it was like, I'm a real, I'm a faith driven person. And I think it was just like God's way of saying, stop 
letting infertility, or I should say IVF run your life. Interesting. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I finally started doing all the things I wanted to do before Mm -hmm. we got our, before we got our quote unquote, you need IVF diagnosis. Okay. So what, Um, like, what kinds of things did you go back to or how did you like find yourself again? I don't even know. Like I just, I, one of my yoga teacher friends, I'm also a yoga teacher. Um, she did this like women's reading of this book called the artist way by Julia Cameron and doing that you like every week you pick like this artistic thing to do and you just have to like tap into yourself. And through doing that, I connected with other, and it was just a woman's circle. I connected with other women who are also doing the same. And it just really inspired me that like everyone's journey is different. And I, I really don't know. I think I just, again, that thought athletic, athletic mindset is a blessing and the curse because I just kept pushing forward. It was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a parent. It's all I've ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stopped caring so much about genetics of the child. And I, I, I always said this, I want to birth a baby and I like, I want to be a parent, but I didn't care if I birthed my own child or someone else's child. Like I just love birth. I just like want to give birth and I want to be a parent. And my therapist like was like, repeat what you just said back to me. And I did it. And she's like, so that should tell you both something that like, you don't care about the genetics. And that's what helped us use a sperm donor. And like, I watched same-sex couples give birth, carrying other people's genetics. And it was the most beautiful thing ever. And then I realized like, I love babies. I love kids. I don't care where they came from. Uh, Yeah. I love my husband more than life. And thank God I'm not related to him. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. And then we became- such a good realization. Yeah. Like I'm by no means related to my husband. Like, thank God we swabbed. We did 23 and me just to be certain because we're both Italian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not at all related. And yeah. And so we took the foster parent class, but it's a very long process. And in the okay. meantime, I decided to do a third egg retrieval. with okay. And <laughs> I feel like you always have like a million different balls in the air. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and figuratively and other people's balls <laughs> and other people's balls in your hands in the air yeah. on the yeah. table we decided to do this third retrieval and i said i said so when was this what's the timing on this well, i just did it december of 22 okay okay foster parent classes in september of 22 okay so what can you tell us a little bit about um I haven't talked about fostering that much on this show so far believe it or not um but i'm so curious about it can you give us kind of broad strokes. Like what are the, what are the classes? What are they, what are the main kind of tenets of it? Yeah, I think it's different in every state, but I'm in New York state. So our class is like a 10 week class. It's 30 hours of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to be approved for the class, you have to have like your house pre-approved. They come through and they like look through your house and then they tell you, you need X, Y, and Z, like baby gates, cribs, beds. And then the classes are supposed to prepare you for having a child dropped off at your door, mm-hmm. but they're kind of old, at least in our state, they haven't been updated and they're working Mm -hmm. on a trauma-informed training, which I think would be so helpful because Mm -hmm. you receiving a child is the child's traumatic day because they're Mm -hmm. being removed from their household, from everything they know, and they're being brought to your house where they know nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. In these classes, you, you take them with other people and those people, like your infertility friends, become your support system because Mm -hmm. they're foster parents and they have the same questions as you and they don't know who to talk to about this and that and 
I mean, it's by no means easy because you get a phone call and you they tell you all they know about this child and you have to say yes or no. Sometimes you have time to call your partner. Sometimes you don't. Oh my um, God. So it could be like at any point because these are not necessarily, you know, it's, it's it could be a desperate situation, right? Like we need to place this kid now. Is that? Yes. And like they're doing, they're usually during the day unless you're like an emergency foster home. And then you say, I can receive a call during the night. But we wow. decided not to do that because we knew we were doing IVF. So this is how our universe works. I had okay. my retrieval on December 6th of my third retrieval on December 6th of 2022. Exactly. Okay. 20, exactly three years after my husband had his first surgery. Wow. Same day we decided the same micro sperm and the donor sperm. And when I had gone for a check, like the weekend before, they're like, expect to get like 12 mature eggs. And like, I felt like devastated. I like, I'm putting so many hormones in my body. I like wanted more, which 12 seems like a huge number. But I was like, I, I had 20 retrieved my last retrieval. I was like, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So, but I was like, Lucas, if it's, he's like, if it's 12, we're only using the donor. So I went in on Tuesday. I went in for my retrieval. It was that next Tuesday. And my husband gave a fresh sample just in case there was like sperm in there. Okay. Just try. You never know. Sperm is weird. People have amazing count one day and not the next. Okay. And I woke up from anesthesia. Thankfully, by now, my husband could come in with me to this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really good. And I was empowered. And I told my anesthesiologist, like, I have trauma with anesthesia. So like, please be kind to me and give me warm blankets. Mm -hmm. And I woke up and I looked at the board. And they circle the number of eggs you get on the board in front of you. And it said 26. Mm-hmm. And I do not. I was like, I'm drugged. That's not my number. Right. <laughs> number down. And then this is where my advocating had to kick in. They wanted me to tell them how many of my husbands and how many of the donor before we knew how many were mature. Oh, God. Okay. To IVF, not every egg that comes out is mature enough to fertilize with sperm. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes like in our clinic, they'll just take all the follicles. So you could get 26 out, but only have 10 eggs. Right. Exactly. So I was like, I'm waiting. And like, I had to like on the intercom advocate this, by the way, because no one was in the room with me when I was advocating. Mm-hmm. And I said, you must call my husband back here. I'm going to be under anesthesia and I am not making a decision without him. Right. Good for you. Yeah. So I think because I was so adamant about this, they brought him back and we waited and he then the doctor came and told us like you have 22 mature eggs and i was like okay, wow. so how long did you have to wait to get that number like the attrition is pretty quick right but this clinic for some reason doesn't tell people to the next day but i only had to wait like maybe 10 15 minutes again i'm under anesthesia i just got up from anesthesia i have no idea and it was also an excruciating pain i was like ah i guess the more they go in there, the sometimes the more it hurts. I don't know. I've had retrievals where I felt like I didn't even have them, and ones where I was like, my ovaries are on fire. Right. This time I woke up, my ovaries were on fire. I was like, I need pain pills, which I don't like taking, but I took them. Okay. Um, I don't like taking them for like m- because they mess up my stomach. They yeah. give me like, like stomach pains, like, right. which I'm trying to get rid of. And so I said, 22, great. We'll do, I don't know, I can't remember the number. So I said, we'll do 13 with my husband and the rest, no, 13 with the donor and the rest with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went on with the day and I was like, that's a great number. So excited. You know, then you don't know because it's the waiting game. And I, the next day I get the phone call and I ended up having 24 eggs. So two more were mature. Okay. So I decided to use the donor and supposed to my husband. Cause I said to them, like, if 
Lucas's sperm doesn't look good. Can you just like use the donor only? They're like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I am paying you so much money and you can't like make this decision on the fly. Mm -hmm. I lived in some place like California or New York City. They would do that for you. But because it's not like a massive, massive clinic, I don't know. It would be really frustrated. But I was like, there's so many things about this I'm frustrated with. A hundred percent. grateful that we got a good number that, I would I change the cycle because I know a lot of people like to know what you did differently. Right, exactly. If I use the HGH, which is human growth hormone, not fun for me to be on, but it it really helped my ovaries respond. I believed that I had the best amount of like my eggs looked great. And from this cycle, we ended up making 13 embryos. Wow. Crazy That's amount amazing. of number. Was that the only major change was the HGH? Um, and I doubled the amount of, I did 150 of gone and 150 in the Menopure. So I think mm-hmm. that was the most amount of meds I ever put in my body. Okay. Um, I skimmed less days, which is why I thought I was going to get less eggs. Mm-hmm. But so one of those 13 was my husband's. Okay. Which is crazy because the fact that only one of his fertilized, one made it to blast and his one tested normal. Wow. Okay. So did you have all 13 tested? Yes. Which costs so much money, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, thank God I did because some of those embryos came back with some pretty crazy stuff that would have not led to a healthy pregnancy. Okay. So then what did you end up with after the testing? Six embryos. Six embryos. Wow. That's still, I mean, to say that's good is I know you've been through so much and it's like, and it's funny because as I say this to you, I I can't even fathom that being like, I'm like, that could be my kids. Like I don't even think that anymore. Right. Just six embryos for me that are there. And um, our plan, like right now I'm doing three months of Lupron because the one testing that I had not done was like a receptiva Mm -hmm. and I did it and it came back that I have possible endometriosis. Now the only way to totally know you have endometriosis is to do the surgery where they go in and look and I'm like done with surgeries. I consulted with my third OB because I work with midwives and OBs do surgeries. So I kept finding new OBs and she took so much time with me and she was like, the Lupron, like, let's try it. You haven't done it. She's like, I don't know if you really want me to go in there with a microscope and a camera and like pick at you. Mm -hmm. She's She's like, this test could mean you have endometriosis and it could mean you don't. She's like, we only know if we go in and you might have this little speck and I might remove it and you might start having pain. And like, I don't have pain with my period. So like, right. I just, want to like muck up my system. Totally. That makes sense. I also believed that the endo diagnosis is because my estrogen has been rising so high. And when you have high estrogen, it makes yeast grow in your uterine, like in your uterus and yeast eats leads to endo. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I somehow got a consult with the head doctor and he told me to go on an all meat diet. And I was like, You're crazy. <laughs> that's like the opposite of what you'd been doing Correct. when you first started. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we did it. My husband and I we were like, we're going to do it. And I had started doing this before this retrieval. So like this could have helped. I literally went like carnivore. And then I moved to more keto because I was like, I can't eat only meat. For two What was weeks, the rationale behind that? That anytime you stick a plant into your body or a, or a grain, it's a carbohydrate and carbohydrates are processed as sugar. But mm-hmm. when you stick meat into your system, it has no carbohydrates. It's processed in and out. Mm-hmm theory is that like vegans and vegetarians are super inflamed or can be super inflamed because they're basically all you're eating is carbohydrates because 
trigger carbohydrates. And mm-hmm. he had a point and I was just like, he just babbled and babbled. And I was like, we're going to try it. I'm down to like, if someone really tells me something and I will try it because that's how this works. You have to right. keep treating protocols. Totally. And I did it. And I mean, it did something. And then I went like, I haven't retested the receptiva, but like I see a functional med doctor and I no longer am testing positive for yeast in my body. Mm-hmm. So, I think that like through using a diet, I was able to like get my system to attack the yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an extra precaution, I decide I'm going to do three months of Lupron. Okay. Um, which basically takes all the estrogen and removes it from your body. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like that for two reasons. One, because my estrogen had been in the 5,000s, three, like more than once in my life. That's not good. Not natural. I do not want to give myself cancer from mm-hmm. like, overproducing my system. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that and I'm waiting. I'm going to okay. do a, I'm going to do a transfer in the spring of 23. Okay. And then weeks after my retrieval, which it's 1219. So I look at the clock and it's 1219 right now. And on December 19th, 2020, I received a call at 315 for a foster child. 315 on December 19th, 2020, I get a phone call and my friend had texted me like, you're going to get a call because the week before I had gotten a call for a four-year-old and I didn't Wait, 2020 want- or 2020? 2022. 2022. Okay. Yeah, my brain from 2020 on is mush. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is December 19, 2022. And the week before that, on the 13th of December, I had gotten a call for a four-year-old that I had to say no to because we didn't want to jump age order from any of our nieces and nephews. We wanted to accept a child younger. Okay. And this was for many reasons. We felt good about this. Okay. Um, our friend from our class ended up saying yes to that child. Aww. And she got the call first for the child we accepted. And she's okay. like, you need to call this family. Like they're ready. They're, they'll take this, this child. So we get the phone call. I couldn't even call my husband. She's like, I need an answer now. Oh my gosh. He dropped off at four o'clock. It's three fifteen. Oh so my said, God. And I went into panic mode and I called my father and I was like, I need you to go grocery shopping. How old I'm, is this child? Two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. So from three o'clock. To 5.15, I went through the house like a mad woman, gathering, I don't know what, trying to like tidy the house. I don't know why I was tidying for a toddler. Sure. And at 5.15, we, a little girl walked in our house. Oh my God. And why do I feel like I'm going to burst into tears right now? And handed me her octopus. And the first thing she said to me was octopus. Mm. Um, and that's fostering. You go from nothing to a child at your door who doesn't know anything and maybe has a stuffed animal, maybe has nothing, but she really didn't have anything. And our community rallied around her. Interesting fertility rally. And it was the week of Christmas. And I just texted a few friends and these people in my community came and just dropped bags of clothes off diapers, wipes, Christmas gifts. And my friend posted on her Instagram and I just drove around to people's houses and got stuff. Oh my God. That's so amazing. I'm like fully like welling up with tears right now. I know. And it's like when we were able to give this, this girl like a Christmas and like, who knows what the future holds. She could be here for a couple of months. She could be here for the rest of our lives. We, you know, that's fostering. You just don't know. Right. Can Um, you talk about the first couple of days? I don't want to like, you know, get too personal or maybe there's things you can't share or don't want to share. And that's totally fine. But like, yeah, I can share. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to hear about the the first couple of days and how it is now and how is she doing and how are you doing? And oh my God, this is inc- I mean, incredible. It was, so being on Lupron messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. And she came in and all of a sudden 
like within, I mean, she was so cute and it was like five o'clock. We're like, we need to eat, feed her. So we started, we put her down, we like started eating dinner. And I was like, Lucas, my stomach, like I was having like, I hadn't had an IBS flare since before we got married. And all of a sudden oh my, my body was like eliminating. And also I'd had anesthesia like two weeks before. So mm-hmm. I'm like eliminating, eliminating. And I'm like, I, but I was able, like the moment I got out of the bathroom, I was like full on with her. And mm-hmm. I just doing she starts rubbing her eyes so we like put her down it's like 6 20 i'm like you must be tired we mm-hmm. put her to bed and i just like shut the door and i walk into another bedroom of ours and i just go down on the floor and i start crying oh yeah i'm losing I, i'm losing it i'm crying and i'm crying Lucy's like are you okay and i was like i i know that part of this is like the medication i'm on and part of this is that like our hormones as women like fluctuate so much like anyone who has estrogen dominance in their body, it was just like so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the week of Christmas, you know. And then I was like, Lucas, you have to take the luckily he could take the day off. He's a teacher and he was able to get the day off. So he stayed home. And then by the grace of the universe, he had another two days off and then a whole week off for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Like windstorm. And that is exactly what I needed because we were able to get a routine. We got to know her. She got to meet some, our family members slowly because we're like, this girl's just experienced trauma Mm -hmm. and it's Christmas. We need to slowly start introducing her to people. So she doesn't like walk into an Italian Christmas and be like blown off. Right. No. And I think because my husband and I both do so much trauma informed therapy, we are that much more aware of how things can trigger you, us, the little girl. So we did our best. I mean, Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. she's like, she's been here now, like five weeks as of yesterday. Oh my gosh. It, I can't imagine and remember my life without her. Oh. Yeah. Which it's is so I, wonderful that you guys are with her. What a wonderful match, you know? And I hope that it turns out however it's supposed to turn out, you know? Yeah. We don't know. And like, we've been saying that we're the bridge. Like as foster parents, we're the bridge. We don't know if they're going to stay on the bridge, if they're going to another house on a different, like, we just don't know. Yeah. So like when I look at it, like the bridge, I'm like, I am holding the bridge for this girl so that she can be on this bridge. Oh my yeah. God. And it's made, like, it's so interesting because I've had friends and even people have said on your podcast, I wish I could go back and tell you it's going to change in this moment. Mm-hmm. And like, I got to experience that moment without giving birth mm-hmm. and without having like a child of quote unquote my own. Mm-hmm. And it was the most amazing thing that like, I love this girl more than life itself. And like, oh. I probably will always love her whether she's in my life or not, because she's the first person to like make me a mom in the physical sense. Totally. You are her mm-hmm. mama. Yeah. It's talk about having to kind of be in the moment though, too, right? Like you can't think too far ahead. I mean, you want to, but it's like, I guess you just have to every day be like, she's still here. I'm her mom today. You know, like think of it in that terms. Is that, would that be how you'd categorize yeah. it as well? I always tell my birth clients to like have a mantra, like a saying that gets them through their birth. And like mine has been today. I am a mom. Mm-hmm. I am a mom to this, this little girl. And you know, and we're still going through our fertility journey. And right. like someone said to me, which is what pushed us to do the fostering now and not wait that like, they're like, this can be such a beautiful way to wait for your forever family. Mm. And then like another mantra of mine has been like finding forever because like, what is forever? Nothing is forever. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just made me so appreciative that like, I've been pregnant four times now. And like, I've done the darn thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just like keep reminding myself, like, Michelle, you have gotten pregnant. Mm-hmm. And like, 
hopefully one day you can have a live birth. But mm-hmm. like you said you wanted to be pregnant, you were pregnant. And like mm-hmm. appreciate and honor the fact that you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's made me a better doula, a better wife, a better everything. Because like I've experienced loss in my own body. I've experienced this crazy fertility journey. And like now as a full spectrum doula, like I can sit with someone who's going through the worst part of their life, having to make either the hardest decision or they've lost a baby or their baby is no longer able to like proceed on the pregnancy. And like, I can be with them and like, know that like I'm sitting there for them mm-hmm. because all I ever wanted on this journey was someone to just like sit there for me. And like, my husband has been that as best he can, but like, he also hasn't had to experience it in his body. It's different when like you can experience loss and trauma and you sit with someone who's experienced it. You're like, I honor your story for your story because like I have my own and like together I can just hold space for you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Michelle. Definitely check out Fertility Rally, our community. We actually have rally guys now too. We have a guys membership and we have a support group just for guys once a month for now. We'll probably do more frequent ones as we build interest and get the word out. But definitely check us out at fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at Fertility Rally. And also if you have two minutes to rate and review this podcast, that would be so greatly appreciated. You can do it on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and also follow me on Instagram at infertile AF stories. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys soon.